Hi guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of Nikagan Times. We have an awesome guest on this episode. We have Oliver Phillips. Oliver is a former English international rugby player and captain who had a successful career in both the 15 a man game side and a sevens a side game. Oliver played in the Olympics version of the game and the rugby sevens. Oliver captain the English sevens side was named sevens world rugby player of the year in 2009. Oliver played with four clubs in both England and France where he was voted overseas player of the year in 2011. Oliver set a rugby four times Guinness world records at the North Pole and Mount Everest. Oliver is a consultant, a broadcaster of Sky Sports and Eurosports and has set up his own business, Optimus Performance. Welcome, Ollie, and thanks for coming on this podcast. Mate, great to be here. Thanks for having me, pal. Pleasure. How's it all going over in the UK? Well, mate, it's lockdown life. So, um, so yeah, at the moment it's a bit of Groundhog Day, to be honest with you, but it's, um, but, but it's fine. At least everybody's sort of safe, well, you know, just trying to do what we, what we, what we can do in order just to get through this, through this sort of period of time, mate. But, but everyone seems to be sort of, you know, rallying around it now, and there seems to be a bit of light at the end of the tunnel, which is all that matters. Yeah, for sure. I can definitely see the light in the tunnel. Um, how have you handled obviously the pandemic, and how has it affected your life personally since it's begun? Um. I mean, we, we've been well. I mean, it has impacted. So, my, my brother unfortunately had a, had a stroke due to it. He caught COVID, but but it's fine. So, you know, that, that was also a bit of a scare for him and for the family. And you know, psychologically, he's um, you know, I, I think it's more the psychological effects of it all now. He's a, he's quite a young lad. He's thirty five, bit 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 young bloke. So, so I think it was a bit of a bit of a shock to him. Um, so so I guess you know we've had a bit of direct impact from it, but um. I think in general, my overall reflections on it are that human beings are really resilient people, right? I think it's brilliant how we, how we, how we can get through and you know come together as a community and make sure we sort of tackle this. And and um, yeah, obviously it's not without pain points, and there's there's obviously the odd moments where it's a real struggle. But um, I think what's also made really clear is just the how much we enjoy. People's company, you know, the community, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, because, yeah, I, I think that's what I miss the most is it's just that human interaction, right? Just seeing, I mean, yeah. I don't get me wrong, I love my wife, I love my kids, but I just I quite like to see someone else other than them every day. <laughs> um, you know, so it's, it's just that really, just having a bit of crack with some other people and just missing that community and that those sort of bonds. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. We're, we're social creatures just generally, so. Um, great insights and thanks for that sharing that. Alright, let's just jump straight into it, mate. For the listeners, who is Ollie Phillips? Yeah, who is Ollie Phillips? Well, um, well yeah, from a professional perspective, you've, you've given a, a fairly decent rundown in terms of my career. Um, but in, in summary, 12 years as a professional rugby player, um, 11 of those as an international rugby player, and six of those as a captain of my international rugby team. Um, and then took on a whole series of challenges that was sailing around the world, going up Mount Everest, North Pole, cycling across America, all for charity. So we did all that to raise. We've raised just over two and a half million pounds now for charity and picked up four Guinness World Records along the way. Um, and I, I, I've That's been amazing. a director at Price, yeah, I've been a director at PricewaterhouseCooper for the last six years. And I lead everything that we do with government and a particular department in government called DCMS, that's the Department of Culture, Media and Sport. So, you know, on a professional side, that's sort of what I do. Um, 
I have a company that specializes in you know one-to-one executive coaching and the sort of leadership teamwork you know performance behavior stuff that's called optimist performance that's all around you know, how do you help basically optimize your people your own behaviors um because that's a bit of a passion point for me I, I really enjoy the you know that side of it and the coaching element of it and away from all the boring work stuff you know i am husband to an incredible wife and um who's literally the you know the brains of our outfit and we've got two amazing young daughters two young girls lily may and nia so that's my off field Delicious. Uh, talk to me about growing up and um, yeah, what it was like growing up in the UK and how it's all transpired to obviously getting into professional rugby. Uh, for me, it's, I imagine it started like most most kids. I was a sort of fairly boisterous young lad, um, and I think my parents were like, "What, you know, what the hell do we? You know, what the hell do we do? Stop him just bashing his his brother or whatever else like that." So, um, you know, rugby was the perfect. Outlet. I, you know, I was useless at football. Two left feet. So you know. So as a result of that, they probably only want to put me in goal. So I, I think I just I started at at the age of four. You know, just at my local mini rugby club, turning up every Saturday or Sunday, running around, just expending a load of energy and having a lot of fun. And to be honest, rugby was always that for me. In fact, it was always that all the way through, even when I was a professional. But. But I was just fortunate enough that, you know, as I got a bit older, someone else would pay me to do that. So that, so that was even more of a blessing. Yeah, for sure. It's great insight. Thanks for saying that. Um, what, have you done much travelling, obviously, on a phone for the rugby, but have you done it any personally? Like, what's your favourite place to go in Europe? Obviously, you're so close to it. Um, yeah, where the places have you been and what's your favourite places to have gone to? Yeah, I mean, I've done absolutely tons. So I've been really fortunate around that one, mainly because of you know rugby being a, a, the initial conduit that that all happened through. You're know, traveling around on the World Series as part of the World Seven Series, so going pretty much to every continent. Um, and, and and then I think the the benefit of being based in in the UK and being based you know near London is the fact that you you do get to you don't realize it right, but so many places that you can visit you know, culturally so many different experiences that you can have so yeah i mean i've been all over all over europe um and then when i retired i, I took on the this race to go and do a you know sail around the world and and as a result of that that was an amazing experience that meant that you know i fully circumnavigated the globe we sailed 46,000 miles we were at sea for 11 months um, so it you know, started in London and finished in London. So yeah, it was that was an incredible experience to have. And through the adventures, they've taken me to places that, well, to be honest, I would never go on, on a you know holiday retreat. You know, the North Pole is probably not the most um, you know uh, relaxing of yeah, holidays yeah. to go to. Yeah. Or uh, or or cycling across the whole of America was an amazing experience and, and a brilliant way to see a country. I, you know, I rode a rickshaw across the whole of India. So again, another phenomenal way of just seeing, you know, these beautiful places from a, you know, a different perspective, if you like, just just a different lens. If I went on holiday, I'd probably go to one place in a standard hotel, and it would sort of be a, a lovely experience, but but fairly sort of one-dimensional. Whereas doing it 
some of these where he's cycling across them or riding across them on a rickshaw, you know, it's, it's maybe not as comfortable, but it's certainly you know, a, a better experience, or at least you get to see more of the country. Terrific. Thanks for sharing that. Um, how was the sailing experience? That really interests me. Like, 11 months. That's crazy. Yeah, no, it was great. Uh, I mean, I'd never sailed before in my life, so I didn't really know what I was going into. Uh, and, and that was a yeah, probably a bit of an error at the beginning. You know, you should have should have probably paid a little bit more attention to to understanding it all. But it came quite soon after my career. And I'd got a career-ending injury. I was sort of like figuring out what I do next. And this opportunity presented itself, and I thought, well, you know, why not? This, you know, should really leap on this. Um, so yeah, so I, I, you know, I went and did it, and. Yeah, you know, like everything, right? At times it was really hard, and at times it was absolutely incredible. So, yeah, I, mean, I can't really fault it. I loved the whole experience. You know, some of the biggest, baddest oceans in the world are, were, were fairly tough. Don't get me wrong, um, but but it was equally an amazing experience. I just used to love. I remember I used to love looking at a, a map or a globe, and you know, I don't know, looking from South Africa to Australia, right, and being like, wow, we just you know, you drew a line. I was like, "Wow, we just sailed across all of that." I used to just marvel at that. So, yeah, it was it was amazing, absolutely brilliant experience, and you know, not one I would do again. But 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 that's not because it was a bad one. But it was just such a you know huge, yeah, you know, emotional commitment, time commitment, and et cetera, et cetera. But if anyone ever asked me, would you do it? I would in a heartbeat tell them, get on that plane, or get on that boat. Awesome. Uh, take us back to your rugby career. Um, how how was that? Obviously, you played in the Olympics, you played rugby sevens. How was that whole experience, and how did you enjoy your professional career playing rugby? Oh, I mean, it was special, right? I mean, I, I think you know, as a kid growing up, you ask about sort of like, what did I want to do? And like, you always, I think, harbour these ambitions, right? To play for your country or and to represent your country. and play rugby professionally or whatever and I mean I wanted it and I really hoped for it and I, and whatever else but, but you know I, I think maybe you, you, as a kid you, you don't necessarily always totally believe it right you, you just hope that you know all these things fall into place and it works out and whatever else so you know, I was I was really fortunate that it it did work out for me um and yeah it, it it's it's just the most incredible experience to be a paid to go and pursue your passion point and you know, play a sport that you love and whatever else that quite frankly you you probably play for free anyway um <laughs> and yeah and and then and then to equally have the honor and privilege to then go and play for your country in front of you know 80,000 people in packed out stadiums and um and, and and hear that national anthem and the, the sort of and feel that sense of pride that you get just hearing that all play out and it's kind of one of those sort of pinch yourself moments of like is you know is this really happening like am I am I stood here in in a final with you know whatever it is sixty thousand people around me wearing an England jersey being captain watching a hacker you know like. Yeah. Just that, you know, those are the sort of things that I sort of dreamed of as a kid, and it, and it was actually happening, and it was a, and it was a reality. So, so I loved it. I mean, I absolutely loved it. The, the only thing I would say, if there was one regret, was 
I didn't love it enough. Like I didn't immerse myself in it enough and really just revel in the whole thing because you're always thinking about, you know, which when you when you're in the moment and when you're a professional sportsman or whatever, all you're thinking about is like performance and managing this and like how do you how do you make sure you get the the, the victory and keep your place in the team and blah 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 all that sort of stuff and obviously this you know, this is a iconic moment for you that you'd sort of dream dreamt of for 20 years so yeah i i really enjoyed it but i just you know i think you could enjoy it more right you could just really immerse yourself in it and just become and just revel if you like in the in the magnitude of what's happened that's amazing great insights you've obviously had a great career um what is your best memories of it so is there any specific memory that obviously you touched on the the national anthem and stuff is there a specific memory you could go back in time that stands out for you yeah, I mean, my, one of my favourite moments of all time was was basically doing something that England and, and England side had never ever managed to do, which was go to New Zealand, uh, the tournament that was in New Zealand, which was Wellington at the time, but go to New Zealand and win in New Zealand. Right, that was the first thing. Right, so it was the first England had never been out of the group stages, and we managed to get to a final. This is in two thousand nine, so we got to the final, and then to make it even better, we were playing against New Zealand, so. You know, to beat New Zealand in New Zealand in their own backyard in front of 50,000 people in the cake tin in Wellington. Yeah. And then equally, to we went 17-0 down in that game. So to come back and win that game 19-17 on the Hooter was just... <laughs> I can I still remember it vividly now. I, I can, it's right in front of me. I, I, every hair on the back of my neck stands up on end because and it was the most incredible experience of my life to do that England's, uh, England haven't done that since um, and yeah I just that was a special moment right uh, uh, the coming together of an incredible group of people a phenomenal team that we believed we could do something extraordinary that no England side had ever done before and we did it and, and that was amazing wow that's amazing um, tell me about Optimus performance um, so optimistic performance. Uh, how'd that come about, um, and how's that going? Yeah, so so the, you know, optimistic performance is basically centered around you know, human performance, right? Optimizing performance behaviors, building on uh, team effectiveness, high performance cultures, all of that sort of stuff within teams, organizations, um, people developing future leaders, nurturing talent. Um, and it, it came about because you know, when I finished my rugby career and I sailed around the world, initially it was just a few people sort of saying, "Look, would you come and you know, tell a few war stories, you know, after dinners and, and whatever else like that, and make everyone feel good and do a bit of an energizer and a bit of a motivating session, which I loved and it was fun." But I'd be honest, I, I got a bit bored quite quickly of of sort of regaling just my tales and and living off the past. I wanted it to be like. I wanted the past and the the things I did in it previously to to you know, know galvanise and support something moving forward. Actually, have some sort of rationale behind them. Um, and so, you know, what came out of it was an opportunity to to start exploring how we did it, how we built successful teams, you know, how we developed you know, an incredible culture within our within our group each time that was a uh, 
a group of collaborative, different, diverse people, but that all came together and really worked towards one common goal and and reveled in it in the, in the process, right? We, we delivered and we really, really enjoyed it. And I think people wanted insight into that. And so now, you know, now we've been going nearly seven years now. So, you know, we've now evolved into a lot more than, than, than that. You know, we, but we will do a lot of the diagnostic stuff with people are sort of analyzing where they are, what sort of behavioral types they're sort of prone to, because a lot of these things are around self-awareness. So how cognizant are you of your own tells and the things that you do and, and how those feelings and emotions influence your own decision making. So there's a lot of that. And then it's, then it's about playing back afterwards. Okay. Well, so what does that mean? What does that mean for us? What does that mean for our business? What does that mean for me as an individual? Now, what areas am I super strong at? So what, what are my real super strengths so that I can play to those strengths? And where are the areas that I need some, you know, some support, some help, some coaching in order to make sure that you know, as a group, as a collective, we outperform against expectations. So, you know, that's, that's what optimist performance is all about. Amazing. What are your passions and hobbies outside of everything to your uh, busy schedule that you do? So what do you like to do in your downtime? Uh, well, I mean, I'm still incredibly active, mainly because I just need that. I need that for my own personal sanity more than anything else. <laughs> so, you know, my knees are now shot of having, you know, done 12 years of professional rugby, you know, so <laughs> my running days are done kind of thing. But I'm the classic sort of middle-aged man in Lycra these days, you know, the old mammal, as they call them. Um, so I quite like going out for a bike ride from time to time because it's the one way I can sort of get outside and and have fun. So I, I love my training, is what I'm saying. But then, yeah, I'm I'm just I really love seeing the world, right? That's I mean, that, you're asking about COVID. That's what I miss the most, right? Adventure, travel, exploration is in my own DNA, and and, and it's something I desperately love and loved. Um, and I want to want to do with my family and my kids and whatever else that you know, inquisitive, adventurous side of life. So I, I just love travel. I love seeing new places, new people, different cultures, learning about the history of certain things. So yeah, that that's my you know, my my passion point. Um, in terms of uh, you know, what really gets me up at uh, up in the morning and, and motivates me. Um, you know, away from what I do from a, a nine-to-five, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm building a sort of property portfolio as well at the moment, just because I, you know, I love you know, that insight. I'm sort of building a passive income and everything else like that. So I'm I'm sort of pursuing that, if you like, away from the um, the business arena of what I do on a day-to-day -day job. Awesome. Um, not getting too political here, but in your opinion, where do you see the United Kingdom generally positioned going into the future? And how do you think they've actually handled the pandemic of COVID? Um, well, I'll be honest, it's not a job that I would have liked to have had at all, right? So, you know, dealing with a, a deadly virus that's spreading like wildfire, that nobody really understands, um, it, it's challenging, right? And then you're trying to lead a nation and a country to protect people, protect lives, protect the infrastructure, protect jobs. You know, it, that is not a job that I would particularly sign up to straight away, right? Because it's it's challenging, at, you know, at, at the least. So I don't think it's fair to 
criticize or praise, right? I mean, there's always things that they could do better, um, and there's always things that they've done incredibly well. The fact that we've got 10 million people now vaccinated across the UK is is brilliant, and that's all that really matters, right? That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Is like, look, how quickly are are we moving towards the point whereby everybody is safe, everybody's well, um, and and everybody can re-engage and get on with their lives and that isn't for me just in the uk that's globally right this is a global problem and i think one of the most well one of the most encouraging things and then also some of the most discouraging things that have been actually human reaction right human behavior and it's mainly born out of fear right but you've seen moments where the world has come together and we've been incredibly collaborative and supportive of one another in tackling and defeating this sort of silent assassin that's difficult to trace and whatever else. And then you know, we've seen the other side, which has not been so positive, which has been, you know, a bit of desperation when there's a solution or whatever else like that. You know, people sort of look after themselves, you know, I'm all right, Jack, that, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, so, so I think it's brought out the best and the worst in humanity. And, um, and, and, if you like, that's what testing scenarios do for people. You're asking what optimistic performance does. You know, this is a case study at the moment. What's going on in, the, in across the uh, across the globe? This is a live case study around human performance, human behaviour. How do they react under pressure with you know an am, very ambiguous environment that nobody really understands that well? Yeah, but the important thing is how do you how do you make people feel how supportive are you in that sort of scenario and then you know, how do we provide a solution so i mean i don't know if that answers your question but i just think that it's it's challenging at best it, obviously everyone's felt the repercussions and everyone's trying to make the the best of it as they can i don't think anyone has got any um a, a, you know, a, a necessarily a bad bone or they want people to die or anything anything like that they're just trying to juggle a million plates in the air at one time yeah i totally agree with that i mean it's a great opinion and great insights into that um if you were 18 again and you could do things differently what would you change i'd tell myself not to sweat too much about the small stuff so i um particularly my 20s you know i would i would really worry about now, fear would actually consume me a lot in some of my decision making or play, you know, like not preparing correctly or you know, not doing all my extras or not 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 eating the right things, not sleeping enough. Da, da, da. There would always be stuff that I would worry about, and a, a bit like I said earlier, like I just would have told myself, look, just don't worry about it, just just enjoy it, right? Just just enjoy the ride, like really embrace what's in front of you throw all your energy and enthusiasm into it and to see see what comes out of it. Back your own talent, back your intuition um, and go for it. You know, the, the worst thing that can happen is that, you know, it, it, it stops or you don't quite achieve the things you wanted to achieve, but, but at least you swung the bat, right? At least you've really had a go. Whereas if you, if you panic about it the whole way through and you let fear sort of cripple you and um, and, and ultimately take control of you, you're never going to get to the end goal anyway, and you're never going to get full fulfillment. Right? You're never going to because even if you do succeed in doing it, you'll have been wrought with anxiety and, and worry that it, it won't be that enjoyable anyway. So I would definitely. I mean, I'm making it sound like my twenties were full of like 
their bleak worry. But they, that wasn't the case. But just you know, in certain scenarios, just would have said, look, just go for it. Like, just don't think about things too much. Don't just don't sweat the don't sweat the small stuff. Let's just go for it. Let, let's just really have a go. And if and if it doesn't quite work out, reassess, reflect. That's what experience is about, right? That, that getting it wrong is actually where you learn, right? and then you learn how to do it to do it right after that. Yeah, I feel inspired after that. <laughs> um, uh. Oliver, Oliver, thank you for joining my podcast, mate. I do appreciate it. I wish you all the success with your next performance and everything else you're doing in your busy schedule and life. Um, yeah, thanks again. Now, top man, mate. Look, keep in touch if anyone wants to reach out. Just listening to the podcast or whatever else, obviously just uh, on all the social media pl- platforms, whatever else, just give me a shout. Cool. Have a great day, mate. Cheers, pal.